Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and whatever it is. <laughs> Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Hey guys, welcome back to another monkey-rific episode of Comic Books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm gonna be one of your hosts tonight, and I am joined tonight by two of my fellow Barsoom enthusiasts. Why don't you guys give a shout-out and let everybody know who's here tonight. Hey, this is Justin, and remember, beware the beast man, for he is the devil's pawn. <laughs> hey, guys, this is Tony, and time ships, they never work the right way, do they? They don't. They really, really don't. So, if you haven't figured it out, this is actually a not-so-subtle tie-in to the release of the feature film War for the Planet of the Apes, which is going to be released July 14th, 2017. So the game plan that we have tonight, what we're hoping is by the time that is released, you'll be listening to this podcast. And in the first half of the show, we're going to be talking about Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes. And this is a five-issue mini-series that was released. It was a co-production between Dark Horse Comics and Boom Studios. It was written by Tim Seeley and David Walker with art from Ferdinando Dagnino. And it was released in September 2016. I actually kind of cobbled together a brief little synopsis from various sources, so I'll read that real quick. And then we can all sort of discuss the nitty-gritty on Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes. Milo, also known as Caesar's successful birth in the original Planet of the Apes films, was a result of the time travel at the core of that story. Writers Tim Seeley and David Walker relocate that time travel to 19th century Africa where Cornelius and Zira cross paths with Tarzan, leading to a much different fate for man and ape. Raised as brothers, but separated by slave traders, Tarzan and his ape brother Caesar reunite when the war between man and ape takes them from the jungles of Africa to the center of the earth. Now, as the worst aspects of both species rise up in hatred and fear, through a century of war, Two brothers, one man, one ape, hold in their hands the future of life on Earth 
as they try to change the destiny of the planet of the apes. That, in a really tiny nutshell, is the basic premise of the miniseries we're going to discuss tonight. But I figure, you know, I've got my notes on all the different issues and stuff, but I, I don't know, do, do we just want to go through it sort of issue by issue and talk about things? And does that work for everybody? That's fine, yeah. All right, cool. So, I mean, the the first issue, I, I, was, I was kind of, like, suffering from, like, time travel whiplash, I guess. Because, you know, the first issue, like, the first page... It opens with Tarzan fighting guerrilla soldiers, and it's listed as North America 2016. But then when you jump to the next page, it's 1901 in West Africa. So uh, it, it, for me, it was a little hard to get my bearings, like, reading, like, the first issue. Because I was like, where the hell am I? <laughs> you know, like, kind of thing. Basically, in 1901 West Africa, we see, like, a young Milo and Tarzan and they encounter all these, like, a herd of triceratopses, and they're they're having, like, a stampede, and it, it basically, there, it looks like, you know, there weren't always triceratopses in 1901 West Africa, it's like some kind of weird dimensional portal has opened up, and, you know, they encounter them while playing, and Tarzan ends up saving Milo and downing one of the triceratopses, and then, of course, they go back to their Mangani village in Africa where Tarzan was found and raised by Cornelius and Zira. And, you know, basically here, that, that's kind of where I got my bearings because I was trying to figure out, like, you know, for for me, the title, I was kind of thinking, oh, Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes. So when I first started reading it, I'm like, is he on the Planet of the Apes? And then I'm like, well, clearly he's not. And then w once we get to the point where they sort of show Cornelius and Zira, they, they kind of speculate, like, maybe the Triceratops stampede was caused by the fact that they are aberrations in the timeline and it seems like it ties directly into like escape on the planet of the apes or escape from the planet of the apes because you know how they take that time ship and then travel back to the 70s and everything but in this case instead of traveling back to the 70s it, it seems like they travel back to you know the 1900s and then you know raise tarzan and their own son you know in africa like sort of away from from the eyes of man for the most part so they're they're relatively left alone until these british kind of colonialists slave traders show up to you know start taking all the you know the the their own talking apes which i i, I kind of have to defer to justin on that kind of stuff because i'm not as familiar with like the characters like kerchak you know who's like that sort of threw me for a loop a little bit too because i was like is he like a talking gorilla from the Planet of the Apes, and I'm like, no, he's from, he's from, you know, the Edgar Rice Burroughs stuff. I'm assuming. Yes, in the Tarzan novels, Kerchak is kind of the leader of the Mangani, and the Mangani, they're like, basically, the Mangani is the ape family that Tarzan has been adopted by, and Kerchak is their leader. He's kind of like, like you see in the. Um, he's this very gruff, stubborn, aggressive gorilla. He doesn't like Tarzan at all. He thinks Tarzan is just kind of like this useless kind of pup that 
Kala, his adopted ape mother, has adopted, and he just barely tolerates Tarzan. Like, you know, he, you know, basically Tarzan will like antagonize him, and any kind of like excuse for him to have, like he'll just kill Tarzan. Like that's that's kind of how he feels about him. He he was like the main bad guy in like the Tarzan animated series from the '90s because I remember the toy commercial was like. You know, can Tarzan stand up to Kerchak? You know. <laughs> Everyone, we will avoid the strangers. Do not let them see you, and do not seek them out. They mean us no harm, Kerchak. Tarzan, I don't know that. But I do. I've spent time with them. You may be willing to risk our safety, but I'm not. Why are you threatened by anyone different from you? <sighs> Protect this family, and stay away from them. <gasps> Once. Listen to Kerchak. In a, in a lot of interpretations of Tarzan, he's kind of like Tarzan's cousin. They're often kind of interpreted as the bad guy, whereas, you know, they may do bad things, but I, I don't think they're like, you know, straight up like Lex Luthor, Joker type villains, but sometimes they get that put upon them. Yeah, yeah. And some, sometimes they, they lean towards making them one dimensional characters instead of keeping them multifaceted. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, this this case, I mean, he, he does seem a little single-minded because he does kind of immediately go out when... It, 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 I guess there's that confrontation between him and the young Tarzan, and, and the young Tarzan's kind of like, what the hell's the matter with you, old man? We told you we were fighting dinosaurs. They're not rhinoceroses. And, and Kerchak kind of gets all pissed off at him and says, I'm going to snap your fucking neck if you don't shut the fuck up. But then after that, he immediately... Like, it's like he, he sort of discards what Tarzan says because he doesn't like him, but then he kind of immediately goes out to confront anything that is out there, you know, because it seems like he's like, I I want to be the, the hero of the yeah, Mugani, get the glory, you know, yeah. like I, <laughs> I don't want, you know, this little pale-skinned kid to get any glory that, that I can have type situation. And, like, he ends up getting captured by those you know, British colonialists that we were talking about, the the slave traders, basically. And and that party that captures him also includes William Cecil Clayton, which is Tarzan's cousin in the the Edgar Rice Burroughs novels and everything. And so then, like, there's, like, this kind of confrontation. And I think they convince... Tarzan and Milo convince Cornelius that, you know, there were dinosaurs out there, and I instead of Zira sort of punishing them with schoolwork, like, they end up going out to try to track, you know, what was going on out there at the same time that Kerchak was leading that hunting party. And so I think Cornelius finds some scales left behind, and then he's, you know, his scientific curiosity, and, and he's kind of convinced at that point, oh, there wouldn't be any scales you know, in a jungle in Africa, I guess. I don't know if there's snakes or shit out there like that, but, you know, apparently he's convinced, like, this is probably not likely something that he would find out there, and he, you know, is kind of excited at the possibilities. But when all this kind of chaos is going on, one of those colonialists kind of gets the drop on Cornelius and Milo, and then, of course, Tarzan doesn't want to be lumped in with these slavers who are hurting who, who he perceives as his family. So, like, Tarzan attacks them with a knife, and then Cornelius ends up getting shot and killed 
defending his son Milo. But then, like, again, I, I'm still, you know, in this, I, I was still sort of getting my bearings, and I, I sort of felt like I had my bearings, but then they kind of whiplash you back to North America 2016, where we see the adult Tarzan who gets captured by General Ursus. And, you know, basically, you know, the only good human is a dead human, kind of echoing the the general from beneath the planet of the apes. And that's basically how the first issue wraps up in in this miniseries. But, I mean, do you guys have any other thoughts on the, the first issue? Well, we do, we do get a teaser, too, like when, I can't remember, if, I read all tonight, like in one sitting. I can't remember if it's when Kerchak is looking for the dinosaurs or is when Cornelius is. But we do get a one-panel shot of what are, what are the uh, evil demon creatures called, Justin? The Mahars. The Mahars. We do see like just a picture of one of them like sitting back, and like when you see it, you know what a dinosaur looks like, and it looks very dinosaur-y, but it's also got like a skull face and everything. So they're kind of giving you like a little bit of a, a teaser that like you know it's not just dinosaurs that are coming through. Yeah, you know, in the book they speculate that the Triceratops came from like a time time portal or a rip in time or something. But me, like my thoughts immediately went to Polydon, which you know, if if you're not like up on Tarzan lore, uh, Polydon is kind of like this like like a lost valley or like a lost land in Africa, and it's filled with dinosaurs and you know cave people and the like. So as soon as I saw the dinosaurs, I was like. Oh, are they going to go to Polydon and fight dinosaurs? That would be interesting. Is that how you pronounce that? Like, is that, because, is it Paladon or is it, I, I don't know, because I think they said something about Pellucidar. Is that, I don't know. Well, I, I say Polydon. You, okay. you could say, Pal, you know, whatever. Magneto, Magneto, Tomato, okay. Tomato. Okay. Polydon and Pellucidar are completely separate. Like, Pellucidar is the land at the center of the earth okay but like i said as soon as i saw the dinosaurs i was like hmm, something else is going on here but then as tony mentioned you see you know these like ominous very grotesque scary looking almost pterodactyl like guys sitting and like munching on a dead gorilla and i was like dude like those are mars like what <laughs> like are we going to Pellucidar? like this is going to get crazy so that that was kind of like my initial reaction i was like whoa like you got Tarzan, and you have Cornelius and Zira from the Planet of the Apes. You have all this, like, Tarzan mythology, and you have Planet of the Apes mythology. And then you're going even kind of further into Pellucidar, which is kind of... It's weird because it's kind of like a shared universe. You know, you have the Tarzan series of novels that Burroughs wrote, but you also have the Pellucidar series of novels, which are like six or seven of these, and they're all about, you know, David Ennis... And what, what's his name? I forgot. The, uh, is Al, it, Al something? Is it, the... it was David Ennis and Professor uh, Abner, Abner Perry. Yeah. Like in the first book, they had like this drilling machine, you know, kind of like in the movie The Last Dinosaur. I was going to ask you about that because cause there's, there's a movie of At the Earth's Core, right? And so is Abner in that? Is that Peter Cushing? Have you seen that movie? Yeah, I, I've not seen it in a long time, but yeah, Peter Cushing is Abner Perry. I, I've never I've, seen it, so like now this, it, it's funny, like this made me want to like check out a bunch of things, you know, because I was not, this was eye-opening to me, because I'm not as well-versed in Edgar Burroughs as you are, so it, it sort of gave me an impetus to just kind of briefly read and check out 
some some other stuff because I, I was looking at like some of the old dc comics like the the weird worlds comics that david ennis appears in and everything just to sort of get a better understanding of, of who that character was i kind of like had that thought in the back of my mind like i'll just go ahead and like say up front like i thought this was a really great miniseries but as i was reading it i was like i wonder if derek is gonna get this i was like i wonder if derek can like penetrate some of this because they throw around stuff like you know abner perry and david ennis and the mahars and if you're a fan you're like whoa this is awesome but like if you maybe are not familiar with that you may kind of feel like it's just a bunch of stuff thrown in there and not very well explained because we don't really see a lot of david ennis yeah it's it's interesting because because the way they establish it but i mean i mean i think the same is kind of true like if if you were just an Edgar Rice Burroughs enthusiast, if you just knew about Tarzan and David Innes, like I, I think kind of the same is true for the Planet of the Apes stuff. I mean, you, you you have to be. I mean, this is obviously entertaining, and I don't mind diving into the deep end of a crossover. I'm I've always been all about that. So it wasn't it wasn't like frustrating or anything. It but but I I would say that you know, depending on how well-versed you are in either property, like, I think they did a good job of maybe evenly balancing out, you know, the Tarzan mythology with the apes mythology. But, yeah, there there may be some instances where you're you're a little less versed in one of the franchises than the other, you know? And I, I think that was true of me with Tarzan. It just, it, for me, it's just sort of made me want to, search out stuff because i'm like dude this guy's you know he's mentioned by name i mean we're kind of jumping all over the place now but i mean it, it's like i think david ennis shows up in issue number three and and for me like i i to speak to that like that that guy gack and david ennis that show up i'm like okay like clearly these guys are important they're said by name but they just sort of show up out of nowhere because you know it's like they they have Tarzan with his cousin back in London, you know, in the second issue, and then they've got and he has like, the, the newspaper. He's like, oh, look what's going on in the world, you right? Know? Yeah, right. And 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 then meanwhile, like you know, for the the apes part of the mythology, you know, Milo has taken up the name Caesar, so that leads into con. You know, it kind of has shades of conquest of the planet of the apes, and he's now leading the Mangani against these British slave traders in a war. And like you know, I, I even had moments like as well versed as I am in Planet of the Apes in the in the second issue, I was like, wait did Cornelius not die? Cause, cause it's like an adult Caesar now reading his father's journals. Yeah. And, and I, for a minute, I was a little kind of like, wait, is he, is he narrating, you know, is he writing the journal? Is he narrating that or, or, but it, I guess he's, he's his father's son, you know, reading his father's words you know so so it sort of confused me because i was like wait i thought cornelius died and then i'm like oh wait that's not cornelius you know that's caesar and his mother comes in and says you know you you may or may not find wisdom in your father's words and all that kind of stuff and yeah. then and then basically you know caesar is reunited with tarzan but they're both confronting one another and then there's this attack on the mangani village by like velociraptor and everything and then, and then that's when you get into the whole, you know, the Marhar show up, and and you've got you know the these important parts of 
the I guess Burroughs verse or whatever you want to call it, you know, the Barsoom verse. I was that's what I was doing. I I started by going on this Barsoom wiki or wikia, you know, because it had like information and stuff. And then I started branching out from there. And then I was like, wait, David Innes had like DC comics. I'm like, so I, I ended up reading a bunch of those because I just I was I was kind of interested in like who this guy was and everything. And like he does sort of to me, show up out of nowhere, or at least when I was reading it. So I suppose if you're, like, a huge fan, it's like, oh, awesome, there he is. But, like, it, it it seemed like, oh, we're in issue three, and we're just being introduced to this guy now. And it seems like he's he's the central protagonist of his own story, and in this, he's kind of relegated to, like, second banana. So I, I suppose if you were a huge... Helpful guy! <laughs> if you were a huge David Innes fan, it, it might be somewhat disappointing that that he is you know it'd be like you know a crossover between like you know superman and aliens and then it's like oh hey batman what's up i'm good man go down that hall and find your cousin great thanks for that batman and then the alien comes out and like you know guts batman he's like you know and then you're just like oh okay that's all he did okay well whatever you know like you just kind of were like all right i guess that's it you know so but that that was kind well, of my I, my initial sort of first impression of it. But I mean, it was definitely cool to see all those guys. And I'm, I'm sort of happy that it, it opened my eyes to, to more of that literature and, and, and I guess penetration into other media of, of like the Edgar Rice Burroughs stuff. Cause it, it's definitely made me curious to check out some of those other movies and like that guy Gak, that's his companion. Like I was a little kind of confused, but that, that made me think of the, the last dinosaur video that I did where it was based on your blog, Justin, because you talked about the land that time forgot. And like, at first I was like, Oh, is Gak the same guy as, as I'm like that Neanderthal caveman from, from Caspek in the land that time forgot. And I was sort of conflating the two guys. Cause they were sort of both, you know, hairy cavemen type, guys or whatever well I, I think they were trying not to make it too dense too because the main selling point of course is tarzan on the planet of the apes because you know tarzan monkeys and i think that was just like a nice like you know because I, I i'm like in the middle ground between you and justin i am aware of burrow's work I, like like i told you earlier i thought it was a nice little nod that they like mentioned you know journey to the center of the earth you know is like extra thing for people who are aware of it to be like oh that's there that's kind of cool but at the same time, they couldn't make it too much about him because then it would have taken away from, you know, Caesar and Tarzan. Those are our main protagonists. But I do agree, like, you know, we will get into it, I guess, as we go through issues. Yeah, he does play, like, you know, a, a, a minor role. He is, he is uh, you know, I guess I guess the best way to put it is he's black guy in a horror movie. He uh, <laughs> He's there to help. He does something cool, and, you know, his fate is what it is. Uh, Justin, I was going to say, like, is this like something like, you know, Derek mentioned Barsoom? Didn't Tarzan and John Carter team up at one point? Like, weren't there team up books with them? Yeah, they've teamed up in comics a couple okay. of times now. Yeah, because I thought that was like like Tarzan and Mars or something like that. That yeah, that's that's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I yeah I wasn't really mad about it. I was like you, Derek. I was more interested. I was like, oh, this is cool. They could have not done that. But then again, you want to have the Mahars, which I'm, I'm pretty sure the writers were like, okay, Tarzan has some good enemies. The apes themselves, you know, General Ursus and everything, are, are are good enemies. But what's like a huge, big, bad we could have? And then they went with the Mahars, 
And like I said, I'm not familiar with them, but like they are creepy as fuck, and they are good enemies. <laughs> they, they've always reminded me of Sauron from the X Men. Like they're they're kind of like these. Usually they're they're portrayed as these huge pterodactyl beasts, and they kind of have this mental chicanery that they sort of you know hypnotize people and feast on them in blood baths and stuff like that. And you know they're they're all around kind of scary big bad type characters so i i mean i could i could get behind their inclusion in this in this story it definitely you know makes perfect sense you know with with what basically what justin has exposed me to in terms of of you know burrows and everything like that and i i didn't realize how big a role like i mean it seems like at least in the comics i've read tonight like the the weird worlds and stuff i mean it seems like they are definitely a primary antagonist of david innes as well you know like beyond just because i guess you had what the novel at the earth's core and then there was tarzan at the earth's core right so that was basically like tarzan being transplanted into you know david innes's kind of stomping grounds pretty much i mean unless i'm way off yeah the basic plot is tarzan is convinced to go to pellucidar to find david ennis because like in the previous books like basically david ennis is trapped at the earth's core he meets this cave this beautiful cave woman i think her name's like diane and he, he... i think it was like deep D, what was it? Yeah, it was something with a D, like D, Dina, D, Diva, D, I don't know, something like that. David, don't you think it's about time we introduced ourselves to our fellow sufferers? Dr. Abner Perry at your service, ma'am. David. Dia. Dia? He falls in love with her. He conquers Pellucidar. Like, they kind of, like, overthrow the Mahars, and they start to bring in technology. Like, they have, like, rail lines, and they have, like, you know these vast like fleet of like ships and stuff and they're fighting pirates and it's basically like you know the the as the novels progress is basically the you know subjugation of pollution and trying to like bring civilization to it and it's like it all it kind of like pushes back whether it's like pirates or giant monsters or like you know army of cave people or whatnot but yeah it's like it's this whole whole other thing but you know tarzan goes in to find these people and you know tarzan fights like dinosaurs and there's like a zeppelin flying around in pellucidar and all this other stuff like it, it's pretty wacky but it's like you know very entertaining is the uh character who's introduced as happy the gorilla is he like in anything in the books or is that oh yeah yeah i couldn't even find him on that that barsoom wikia so i was gonna ask you that too is that is that happy character real i don't think so i you know i was kind of wondering that too i was like he's not from apes he's not from tarzan like i don't the closest thing i can think of is if you ever saw the film with christopher lambert oh okay. Okay. legend of tarzan you know when yeah. tarzan goes to civilization like he has that one ape friend that you know spoilers he dies at the end like that that seemed to me like a similar character like okay. happy where he's kind of brought back and you know he's talking to Tarzan and whatnot, but like I I think I think he's just like a cipher or something. Like I think Happy is original. Yeah, it seems like I mean if people don't know what we're talking about, like when when Tarzan goes back to London and he's with his cousin there, they they seem to have this talking Mangani servant. Manservant, yeah. <laughs> you know, manservant, and 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 the name of the manservant is Happy, and Happy does come back with Tarzan 
you know, to West Africa, you know, in the course of this story and everything. So he's he's definitely this kind of steadfast confidant and everything of Tarzan's and and I you know again like like Tony I I did have that thought like is this is this a you know a real character because I could kind of pick up on that David Innes and Gak and and the Kerchak like they were all characters from the novels and stuff I mean you know obviously you know Cornelius and Zira's fate is is eventually similar to their fate in escape from the planet of the apes because Cornelius has already been killed. And by the third issue, you know, the Marhar basically are the ones that kill Zira in this. And then, you know, I guess there is, there is more stuff about like planet of the apes type mythology, because there is this beat in the, there, there is this, beat in the storyline where there is a sort of mysterious space-suited ape that's watching Tarzan and Caesar lead the Mangani. Is it operation? Yeah, and and like and like you you don't know who he is and I have to admit that that sort of you know, I, I didn't know who it was right away, you know, and I, I did kind yeah. of, it totally comes over when they do the reveal, yeah. So, so I was, I was definitely intrigued and interested to find out who he was, you know, moving forward in the book. And I guess maybe, you know, obviously spoilers, like if, if you don't want to know who he is, well, we're about to say so. You know, like, like once there's a portal that opens up with more Marhar coming through, like David Innes and Gak and this mysterious ape in the spacesuit and, and... Uh, Caesar and Tarzan, they all sort of have a rival fusion. They all kind of team up together to kill their their sole enemy. And the ape in the spacesuit ends up being revealed to be Doctor Milo, or at least a, a version, Dr. Milo, yeah, <laughs> a, a, a version of Doctor Milo from the multiverse. And then he's kind of like he's kind of like Pariah from Crisis on Infinite Earths. It seems like because it seems like. This version of Dr. Milo, the, the space Dr. Milo is what I'm going to call him, is is kind of forced to relive the destruction of the planet of the apes like over and over again, no matter what changes he makes in the path leading up to the end of Beneath the Planet of the Apes, you know, like that, that he's just always destined to, you know, see that, but somehow he's he's like a man out of time or out of the multiverse like somehow he 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 kind of finds himself in all these different scenarios and and finally he's here you know in in pellucidar you know and he's almost like he was a great tool in terms of me not knowing very much about edgar rice burroughs because you know space dr milo was like Oh, these are the Marhar, and you are on Pellucidar, and you're, you're David you know, Ennis. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> this is at the Earth's core, and 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 we're all gonna attack the Marhar together, you know. And it was like that was he, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't horribly forced or anything, but but at, at the same time, he was a mystery, and you wanted him explained. And once he was sort of revealed and explained, he also went on to explain other things about the Tarzan mythos that maybe new readers like myself weren't a hundred percent privy to, you know, and, and we're learning about for the first time. So I thought that was pretty, 
pretty well done. You know? Yeah, I, I did like that between like the second and third issue because in the second issue we get kind of like a you know cold intro that like you know uh, uh, Tarzan or I can't remember his first name, but Lord Grey Stoke is back in England and all that, and you know he does go back to Africa and he does go back with his apes, but you know like the other apes are like he's a human he's with like that other human who hunts humans and the only person who actually like is willing somewhat is caesar at first he's not he tries to attack him i mean he he does you know call him like you know pretty much a traitor and stuff it is kind of cool like and this sounds sappy but i don't really care because it was done really well they show there is a bond between these two people who have been raised as brothers they've been you know together since they were kids and you know i, I thought that was a really nice way to build up the connection between the two, you know, different properties and then throwing Milo in there, like you said, Derek, it really did help, you know, bring it all together. I guess you would say he, 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 he was, he was exposition guy, but it wasn't exposition that was tedious and annoying and, Oh, I don't want to listen to it. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then, and then the, you know, basically like the last page on the third issue, like you, you see Tarzan and space Milo and, Caesar and all these guys, David Ennis, you know, fighting, you know, at the Earth's core and attacking the Marhar and their servants. Shoulder, you know, shoulder yeah. Ape guys or whatever and stuff like that. And by the time you get into the fourth issue, like, there, you know, it's it's a lot of action, I think, in the early half of it. And and there's, there's a lot of cost to the battles that they're having because, like, like sort of like we've mentioned before, Happy, the, the loyal, steadfast manservant, like, he ends up dying. Kerchak, you know, the old, you know, grumpy ape, basically, you know, ends up dying. And that, that was a really good line, too. It was like, Kerchak, you old fool. I always hated you, my friend. And I, I thought it was a good line from Caesar. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you saw that Caesar had a, a good camaraderie with him even if it, they were kind of at odds a lot of the time so it, it goes back to what justin was saying that you know even though kerchak maybe in in sort of a disney-fied version of tarzan is just a one-note villain you know here we can see there were some layers he, he did have some good points in dealing with caesar as opposed to just being sort of one-dimensional and stuff like that my favorite part of issue four when they're having the battle and everything i liked how they had tarzan doing his traditional jungle cry when he's atop that <laughs> mammoth and like he's basically riding it like through all the the barriers and everything i thought that was pretty cool <laughs> That, that was one thing they actually did very subtly. They they only mentioned it once or twice. Like, the woolly mammoth would be a perfect example. But also earlier, Caesar, when they're fighting the dinosaurs, he, he, asked, he asked Tarzan, he's like, you know, is your mastery of animals the reason they're attacking? Did you get them to do your bidding? And he's like, they're no friends of mine. Yeah. Yeah, but, but it, it sort of does lend credence to the whole, you know, t Tarzan of the jungle, Tarzan of the apes, like that he, that he does have a, a natural talent for for befriending and kind of you know using the animals as his resources pretty much yeah yeah i thought that was kind of cool the, the they they basically like they fight their way into like the chamber portal of the marhar in issue four and like i i don't know if if this is something that justin can speak to and you know i don't know if this is something that inspired city on the edge of forever but i the the stone ring that they see where they're like seeing all <laughs> the possible timelines and you could see like 
it's almost like you're seeing like the greatest hits from all the Planet of the Apes films because you can see images from Planet of the Apes and Beneath the Planet of the Apes and and all these various sequels and everything Conquest in the in this Stone Ring, but it did remind me a lot of the Guardian Forever. So I I don't know if if you have anything on that, Justin. Yeah, that's that's what it reminded me too. But like as far as the novels, there's you know as far as i know there's no like magical portal you know like okay. like i said pellucidar is full of, like different kind of like tribes of cavemen and, and like i think there's maybe a few like lost civilizations you know and there's like a, there's a few tarzan novels and a, a few comics that deal with like lost roman empires you know kind of like that were isolated in africa or something and you have tarzan fighting romans or something but like as far as like an actual you know dimensional portal through space and time no so so now that i've read like uh, the backup story on david innes and korak the son of tarzan and then that extended out into weird worlds from like 1972 there were about like seven or so issues that were trying to adapt you know at the earth's core basically and like now that i've read all those i'm kind of sorry to report that david innes is impaled and killed by a marhar like he kind of he's he's there fighting the good fight but but he definitely doesn't make it and at that point caesar jumps through the portal and then he's followed by tarzan and space milo and so they, they basically, it's it's like they're jumping through the Guardian of Forever, and it's like, well, we, we could either die here or jump through this unknown portal, and wherever we end up has got to be better than where we are. And, <laughs> yeah, you think, but... <laughs> well, yeah. But you know what's funny, too, is I'm like, well, at least finally, like, I mean, it took like four issues, but to me, I was like, we finally get to the title of the goddamn book which is Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes, right? Because I was like, when are we going to get to Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes? And, and that's what we get, basically. I mean, we're, we're immediately shown, you know, he's, he's, he's landed on the beach that traditionally Taylor ends up at at the end of the first Planet of the Apes film, and you see the Statue of Liberty where it's, you know, on the beach, and it's only the, the topmost half of it, and, you know, there, there's... There's sort of a brief flashback to, you know, Tarzan actually with his cousin, you know, coming to the States and seeing the, you know, Statue of Liberty. And, and, you know, obviously Tarzan has a context for it. And so he understands, you know, what what has gone on, you know, in this in this universe on the planet of the apes. Yeah. And even it's kind of funny, though, because because of his, you know, jungle uprising uh, upbringing not uprising upbringing like even he tells his cousin you know it's like you know yeah it's nice but like you know most things that are built is going to fall apart and decay at some point it's kind of kind of creepy that he's right you know (laughs) yeah 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 it's like you know all things end you know at some point you know so yeah, and, and, and then and then Caesar, who went through the portal a little earlier, it's like he's sort of in his cloaked disguise and everything, but he goes to see his mother and father 
in, I guess, you know, what is supposed to be maybe an alternate universe, or... It's weird, like, the whole multiverse slash time travel thing isn't really solidified, but, I mean, I, I guess so long as you don't think about it too much, it's just an entertaining story, and I, I didn't dwell on that all that much. Everything's a little different, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 slightly different, but kind of the same, you know, like, so... It, I, I mean, I guess the major difference, I guess, is that... In this, they have lines of dialogue that indicate that, you know, Taylor did not survive. Like, that they, they forced Zira to conduct operations on him, and, you know, Zeus and Ursus, you know, made her sit down and, and basically, you know, lobotomize him or whatever, and he didn't survive. So, I, I guess in some sense, that sort of preserves Tarzan's individuality on the planet of the apes, I guess. I was going to ask you, Derek, since you, you talked about David Ennis dying and him being like a major character in his world, you being a Planet of the Apes fan, I totally get why they killed Taylor, because if they had Taylor around, like you said, Tarzan would be kind of redundant, but being a yeah, Planet of the yeah. Apes fan, like, were you all just like, you know, even for a second, like, oh man, they killed Taylor, that, that sucks. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I think, I think anybody who was a fan of either David Innes or, or, or Taylor, like you, you probably do have that brief moment of, Oh geez. Like that, you know, they were the main protagonists in their stories. And, and, you know, unfortunately in this universe, you know, they, they are, you know, ultimately discarded and, and they end in death. So that's always kind of, that's always to me going to be like sort of a, a sad thing or a, a, you know, I mean, I, I didn't think it was a horrible decision. Like you said, I, I get why they did that. It's to preserve Tarzan's individuality as, as being, you know, the sole talking human in this story, you know, so that, that he retains that sense of self. But, you know, the the thing that I end up thinking about the most is that, you know, like, it's kind of like when I read the, the novels for Dune, and, and, like, when I was a kid, I watched the movies, and, like, you know, like Luke Skywalker and, and you know, Superman and, and whoever my heroes were, you know, like, Paul Atreides was kind of one of my heroes. You know, he's riding the sandworms, and, he you know, he's freeing the people of Arrakis and doing all this cool stuff, and, and I, I really did respond to him as a kid as well. And it was weird as an adult reading the books and then reading Children of Dune and finding out, like, he basically becomes, like, this weird Oedipal-type <laughs> character where he, he, you know, cuts out his eyes and walks blind in the desert and does the long walk for Judge Dredd and probably just dies a miserable, horrible death. You know, and it's like, it's like if you keep reading your heroes long enough, you're going to go past the happy ending, I guess. So yeah. like, there's, there's that kind of sadness to, you know, it's like, Oh, well, you know, it's like you, you read the one, you know, Taylor story and it's like, well, by the time you get to beneath the planet of the apes, like, I mean, he, he does die there too. Right. So, I mean, you know, he was going to die at some point, you know, <laughs> like, it's not like he was going to live forever. Yeah. And, and both deaths are done well. Like when Ennis dies, you know, he's fighting the good fight, you know, he, he takes one for the team and they get away and Taylor, he doesn't really take one for the team, but his death is to show how far, like you said, little differences, how far gone the apes are in this kind of version of reality. You know, like Zayas is like, yeah, cut his fucking head open. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I hated to see David die too. When he, when he got like got stabbed through the chest by the Maher, I was like, what? No. 
And then when Tarzan goes to the portal, I was like, well, I guess maybe they'll have Taylor, like, assume, you know, David's role. Like, he'll just be, like, a co-leader and, like, a, you know, a brother in arms. And they're like, oh, like, Taylor died. I was like, oh, well, there goes that idea. And then I thought, okay, maybe they'll have, like, Brett show up, you know, like, the, like, you know, nobody loves Brett, but maybe they'll, like, do something with him. But he didn't even get yeah. mentioned. <laughs> could have been worse. Yeah. We could add, like, Mark Wahlberg show up. <laughs> <laughs> It, it would have been yeah. cool if, like, that was, like, one of those scenes in the portal where you see, like, m you know, Marky Mark and, you know, what's Bubbles. the name? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So, so we were safe from that, at least. Critics weren't so kind, and then this Apes movie comes, and it's like everybody's in love with it. What the hell? I haven't seen it yet, but I heard it's pretty damn good. It is good. It's good. It's good. Well, ours wasn't. It is what it is. <laughs> Ours wasn't. And listen, here's the thing. But I had no better time on any movie yeah. than I had working with Tim. I mean, we both, you know, they, they didn't have the script right. They had a release date before he had shot a foot of film. Right. And it was like, they were, you know, they were pushing him and pushing him in the wrong direction. Right. You know, you got to let Tim do his thing. Yeah, so the, the, the fourth issue kind of finishes up where we, we catch up to the setting with Tarzan being in 2016 North America. And it, I guess 2016 North America was code for Planet of the Apes, you know, because I don't think you were really privy to that when you're reading the first issue per se, except for that he gets captured by General Ursus, you know? So it's like, I don't know, I was trying to wrap my head around that whole thing in the first issue. But basically, we catch up to that sequence, and Tarzan's defending the, the tribal human beings from the guerrilla soldiers in General Ursus. And, of course, Space Milo also arrives on the Planet of the Apes. And in the meantime, we can see that Dr. Zaius is having nightmares of the future apocalypse from beneath the Planet of the Apes, and, you know, it's it's basically replaying the sequence where, you know, Taylor's like, you know, to hell with you guys. I'm going to blow you all up and everything. And then, you know, Beneath fades to white because they didn't have the budget to blow up the goddamn <laughs> planet and everything. And, and, and then, you know, we kind of end on Zaius seeing Taylor's spaceship and, and he's going to confront who I'm going to call non-space Milo. Non-space Dr. Milo. Civilian Milo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Re regular Dr. Milo. I, I was going to ask you guys, like, uh, my memory might be bad, because I haven't seen the original Planet of the Apes movies in a very long time. But, like, I know Zaius was kind of extreme in his belief in, you know, the lawgiver and, like, how things should be. But he seems a little bit more nutso in this series, which is fine, because he is kind of supposed to, you know, progress the, the narrative of, like, you know, the apes being that far gone, but... Like, man, it's like everybody always has these fond memories of Dr. Zayas. It's like, oh, he's like kind of a cool guy. He's a little extreme, but like, you know, he, he might have figured out like he was being too harsh at the end. But like this one, he's just like out, out the fucking fourth wall. He's very like, you know, you know, prophecy, you know, I am the faith of the, the, the apes and stuff. Am I just like not remembering right? Was he always, always kind of like too far gone? It's weird. I, I kind of thought he was much more of a stickler in the film than he is in this because he does, I mean, going into issue five, he does have that clandestine meeting at the remains of the spaceship with non-space Milo, you know, and, and he's not, it, it, it seems like one of those things where Zaius and Milo somehow are both privy to the secrets that, you know, yes, there were talking humans 
who had a civilization before the Planet of the Apes. Like, he was always... Yeah. Zaius was always privy to all those secrets, but he was always covering them up and sweeping them under the rug to preserve the faith, basically, because he, you know, that's that's what he represented. He was the 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 political scientific slash, you know, minister of faith. You know, he he was the theologian or whatever. And you know, without their theology, that you know, their fear was that their ape society was going to be wiped out. So I I mean, I could you know, it, it's interesting. I always feel like these comics give you a little more chance to maybe see things from his point of view rather than him being sort of the the I I I I guess I've never thought of Dr. Zayas as the villain in the Planet of the Apes yeah, movies, yeah. but I've heard but, yeah. but I've heard I've heard a lot of people kind of refer to him that way, you know, and it's like I don't I don't know that I quite see it that way. And and I think, you know, some of these instances you know, where you get a little more time to spend with Dr. Zayas. I mean, he has those lines about if anybody could usher in a new age for apes, you know, I, I'd want it to be Cornelius and Zira. You know, and it's like, I don't I don't think you'd expect the quote-unquote villain of your piece. You know, it's not like you'd expect Lex Luthor to go, well, if anybody's going to start a new Earth, <laughs> I'd want it to be Superman and Lois. You know, like, I, I don't think you'd you'd get that kind of thing from from lex luthor you know so so i don't i i i mean either you could argue that zaius is not you know is written too charitably in this or you could just say that he again like kerchak and and a lot of the characters we're talking about from tarzan he's a multifaceted character with with many layers and and multiple you know he he's got many dimensions and he's not just this you know one track you know kill the bat type you know bad guy or whatever yeah his motivations aren't necessarily evil they're just for something we might understand because you know we are humans we're hairless apes so you know we might see him as being like you know too extreme on the other hand ursus is totally extreme he he is a fanatic yeah 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 well i mean ursus basically breaks in and forces zira to help him interrogate Tarzan, who he's captured, and then at the point where Ursus is like holding Zira at gunpoint, that's when Tarzan kind of loses it and attacks him. And then you know Caesar and Cornelius bust in and and take out like some of his other soldiers and everything. And, and you know what was funny was, I mean, I you know later on we see Ursus with like bandages and everything, but at the time when I I read that portion, like I, I kind of thought like Cornelius pulled the Joker on Jason Todd to General Ursus. Like, I thought, That's what I thought I he thought, took yeah. the crowbar and, and, like, broke the ape does not kill ape rule, because I was like, man, he, you know, I, most times I'm like, oh, it looks like he bloodied him up with that crowbar. I thought, I, I had thought he had killed him, so I was, I was a little surprised that it was just, you know, oh, he had a concussion and he's okay, you know? Well, I think it was the art, too, because the art is really good. Don't get me wrong, the art style in this is amazing. I, I love the artwork that was put into this. But that that scene is kind of in like a a silhouette and like with a bright background, and it's got that like you know kathunk. It is like oh god, he just killed him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a very intense scene. So I I had mistaken it for him 
you know, actively having, you know, killed the general, you know? Because he's like, either they're carrying away kind of a wounded Tarzan, and then Cornelius is like, I'll be right back. <laughs> and he's like, kabam! You know, it's like, fuck you, you know? Like, so. Die, bitch, yeah. I don't know, what, did did you have that thought, Justin? Or, or did that not, was that something that didn't enter your mind when you were reading it? No, it entered my mind. Any Anytime, like, you have, you know, apes violating their most sacred rule, ape must not kill ape, I kind of like... I don't know. It, it just kind of like rose me the wrong way. So like when Ursus was pointing his gun at Zero, I was like, "Wait a minute! Like you know, you're you're gonna like violate your most sacred law." And then when you know he got hit in the head, I was like, "Oh, he's dead!" <laughs> like I had the same reaction as you guys. So like I was kind of like, "Oh." <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, speaking of ape does not kill ape. I mean, you've got you know Space Milo who's finally lost it, and he decides. Yeah, when he, when he goes to the portal, he's kind of lost where he's at as far as what his actual mission is. Yeah. Well, he he's just like I think I think he's desperate at this point, like because he's seen so many realities and they all lead to the same destruction. So he's like, well, what if I kill myself <laughs> yeah. in this timeline like maybe that'll change shit you know and and so he basically you know space milo kills non-space milo you know like he he takes him out and everything and and like he even thinks oh maybe if i kill cornelius and zira like that'll break the cycle and you know zira ends up clobbering him with a rock so so you've got all these guys that potentially are i mean it, it's funny to say but like what what always cracks me up about the whole you know superheroes don't kill thing or whatever but it's like yeah they, they you mean they don't pick up a gun and shoot somebody in the face but batman has high yield explosives <laughs> on a batarang and i'm just kind of like wait so how do you know that that high yield explosive is not going to kill anybody like you you're just hoping it's just going to blow up some debris and scare them off like is that your plan like or when people get electrocuted i'm like Oh, yeah, Batman doesn't kill people. He just pushes Clayface into the water and throws a fucking, you know, uh, uh, or in the Justice League Dark thing where he, like, throws the electric paddles into the fucking water. And it's like, how do you know that's not going to kill whatever you're doing that to? Like, you don't, right? So it's like, I, I always think that stuff is all laughable, basically. And it's like, you know, Zira basically clonks him on the head with a rock, and it may or may not have killed, you know, she may or may not be breaking her most, you know, the, the most sacred ape does not kill ape you know, law or whatever. She doesn't, but, you know, that's just... Yeah, to, to her credit, they, they, they talk her down and she does make the right choice. So that that is to her... Uh, you know, I, I just think it's kind of happenstance that the person didn't die. You know, it's just it's just convenience. Well, you know? it, it was kind of like the Cornelius Kane hit. Like, the, again, that panel, when she, like, clonks him, it's like... Well, bam! And like, it's like, damn. Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's very brutal, and and you know, you can see the blood and everything, and and you're thinking, oh, okay, that that you know, it it, it reminds me of like when in Creep Show, you know, it's like Cordelia, where's my cake? And she takes the ashtray and clobbers the old son of a bitch, you know. And it's like, oh, well, clearly, like, you know, Zira did the same thing there, but it just so happens it didn't totally, you know, kill Space Milo, you know. You know who Space Milo reminds me of? Like there, there's a Star Trek novel by Peter David called Q Squared, and and in this, like basically, it's like a game between Q and Trelane. And anyway, long story short, there's like an alternate reality where Jack Crusher was like, you know, in command of the Stargazer, and Wesley died, and all this stuff. Like Jack Crusher goes insane, 
and he kills an alternate version of himself, and then he goes around like killing other versions of himself so, so that he wants to be the only Jack Crusher left in existence. So that kind of reminds me of like what Milo is doing. Like he's seen all these versions of himself die. So like he kind of considers himself to be like the one true Milo, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's also a Jet Li movie called The One that has that. Not nearly oh, yeah. as Yeah. <laughs> Not nearly as probably cool as that Star Trek novel, but yeah, I mean yeah, that's that's a thing. But there was definitely no kung fu in Q squared. <laughs> Yeah, or throwing up motorcycles. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Like, what what'd you guys think about like like I know Derek kind of touched on it. What do you think about like Milo? Kind of, I, I say he went crazy, but at the same time, Derek is right. He's at the point where he's like, you know, my brain is broken, but it's only because I can't fucking stop this. And that's that's one of the points he keeps making is like, we're not gonna fucking stop this. You know, he's like, you know, when especially after he gets clobbered, it's like. The, the future will be the future is like do you think like he actually did lose it or do you think he's just a desperate a desperate monkey <laughs> trying to do the right thing <laughs> <laughs> i don't know like when i was reading this like when i got to that part in the comic i was like wait a minute this is the last issue and there are only a few pages left like how are they going to resolve all this because it seemed like there's it seemed to me like there was like so much going on and they'd come so far. I was like, you could probably do like another issue to like wrap this up. I was like, how are they going to wrap this up so quick? Like, what are they, you know, like, what are they going to do with like space Milo? Are they going to, you know, is someone going to kill him? Like is Tarzan going to kill him so that the apes don't have the blood on their hands? But I, I did like the end result where, you know, they kind of say to Milo, look, here's the here's the difference in this timeline we have tarzan and you know tarzan and caesar they grew up together they see each other as brothers so you know basically they say we'll find a made it we will find a way to make it possible like we will save the world and then i thought it was kind of funny you had those like you know the underground the rope guys <laughs> yeah like i revealed my <laughs> innermost face to my god yeah the, those guys that me and derek always kind of like joke about like i thought it was kind of interesting that they like had this you know this kind of like animated mural or, or whatever on their like wall and they were like should we prep the you know the bomb the holy bomb it's ready and they're like no not today and it ended i was like oh that was that was kind of neat, you know, like, I kind of... It was cool. I could see if, again, if you were only a fan of Tarzan stuff, that ending might be like, what the fuck? But since we're so <laughs> yeah. heavily versed in Planet of the Apes, and, and you know, we, we've talked about Beneath the Planet of the Apes, you know, on the podcast before, obviously. So so we, we are totally familiar with the little tacked-on epilogue or after-credit sequence or whatever you want to refer to that as, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess, I guess I can buy, you know, the ending. It, it was a little weird that like Caesar and Tarzan to get to that point, like it's like they they're protecting Zeus and Ursus from those wild humans and everything, and it's like everybody's like, what's going on? Like, why don't you just let them kill, you know, the bad guys, quote unquote, you know? And it's like it seems like there's all these sort of doubting Thomases and naysayers, whether it's you know Space Milo or ursus or whoever you know like they they don't believe in in peace on a the planet of the apes between humans and 
and apes. You it, know? it doesn't but, help that Dunder's ass isn't shutting up either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's definitely one of the naysayers. You know, he he doesn't buy it either. You know, but but you know, their their whole point is, you know, Caesar and Tarzan are brothers. You know, they do have a relationship, like Tony pointed out earlier on, and they do care for one another and and they're fighting side by side and that's supposed to represent like it, basically if we can do it you know you can do it too you know like it can be done you know and and it's like i guess it'd be interesting i mean i suppose if you if you made another series and kept reading it it could turn out like children of dune where they end up walking into the desert with their eyes blinded and it <laughs> turns out really sad you know or you know it, it, it's it's like that discussion everybody always has about the end of what the hell is it battle of the planet of the apes where the statue's crying it's like is the statue crying because it's crying tears of joy because apes and children are together and 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 human you know human human children and ape children are together you know learning together and everything's all happy or or is he crying the bloody tear because he knows that's not destined to last and eventually those children will be killing one another you know like like it, it depends on you know, your perspective, your outlook, your interpretation on the way of the world, you know, and, and you know, it's like you, you hope for the best, but pray for the worst or or expect the worst, but hope for the best. I mean, you know, what, what, whatever you know, oh, I mean, even, even, the, is, even the rogue you know? guys are like, you know, when they, they do their little one page thing, you know, it's like, you know, we're, we're not going to do it maybe someday, but not today. I mean, they, even there, like, right, you know, it right. could happen still. Yeah. Yeah, we 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 can still we can still press the 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 trigger on these guys if it goes bad, you know. Lawgiver, who knows what the future holds? <laughs> Perhaps only yeah. the dead. <laughs> I, I I will say since we were at the the the, the last issue and we're probably going to do some summarizing and stuff. The first thing I want to say is like this series. I like Planet of the Apes. I like Tarzan. I don't know much about Planet of the Apes as Derek. I don't know about Tarzan as much as Justin. But this series really pulled me in. And it's a quick read. Really, guys, if you want to read this, I read this in like 40 minutes. Doesn't mean it's stupid. Doesn't mean it's lame. It just means that like it goes along at a good clip and you can read it and be enjoyed. The thing I really like, though, is like both properties got a lot of like due diligence. You know, it's like if you're a Tarzan fan or Edgar Rice Burroughs fan in general, you're going to be like, oh, that was pretty cool. And if you're playing the Ace fan, you're going to be like, that was pretty cool. You know, it was like nobody outshone each other. It wasn't like, you know, Tarzan, oh, the Planet of the Apes. And it wasn't like, you know, the Planet of the Apes featuring Tarzan. I think they did a really good balance of how they told the story. Yeah, I agree. I agree totally. Yeah, I, I was very surprised to see, you know, Pelu Sadar and David Ennis show up. I was like, whoa, like, this is going to be awesome. Um, the one thing I did think was kind of like a odd omission and it probably would have thrown way too much on what we already had is like there was no jane and there was no nova like i thought it would have you know they could have like you know mentioned them or, or something <laughs> well i know me and Derek miss nova <laughs> <laughs> yeah or yeah. you know like if, if there is a sequel maybe tarzan will find nova and they'll make their own little human colony or, or something like taylor wanted to do all right. Well, I, I think that kind of wraps things up for this first half of the show. And we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, if all things work out, we're going to be discussing Planet of the Apes and Green Lantern. So stay tuned. <laughs>
Xenozoic Xenophiles. A fan podcast devoted to the comic series Xenozoic Tales. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. We hope you'll join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in this excellent comic series from creator, writer, and artist Mark Schultz. Xenozoic Xenophiles is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. And find us at xenozoicxenophiles.com. Hey guys, welcome back to the second half of our episode. And of course, as planned, we are going to be discussing Planet of the Apes Green Lantern on the second half of the show. And, of course, this was meant to be a tie-in to the feature film release for War of the Planet of the Apes. And hopefully, you know, basically we were we were kind of edging on the Planet of the Apes Green Lantern miniseries finishing up and then, you know, getting to read it all at once. And so the last issue came out this week, and we are here. I am Derek, Derek W.C. on the second half of the show, and joining me tonight to talk some Planet of the Apes Green Lantern is one of my fellow fanholes and Planet of the Apes enthusiasts. Give a shout out. Let everybody know who's here on this second half of the show. It is I, Justin. Awesome. So, so yeah, I mean, basically, we're, we're here to talk about the six-issue miniseries. This was by Boom Studios and DC Comics. It was written by Robbie Thompson and Justin Jordan, and it was penciled by Barnaby Bagenda. I kind of wrote a, a semi-detailed synopsis, so I'll, I guess I'll, I'll read that off, and then Justin and I can sort of discuss our feelings on this team-up slash crossover slash, you know, tie-in to Planet of the Apes. Boom Studios and DC Comics are proud to bring together two classic properties in an unprecedented crossover event. Set somewhere in between the films Planet of the Apes and Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Cornelius, the chimpanzee archaeologist and historian, searches for his missing comrade, the time-displaced astronaut Colonel George Taylor. During his investigation, Cornelius discovers the ancient Universal Ring, which can channel the powers of all the Lantern emotional spectrums. Greed, willpower, rage, fear, hope, compassion, and love. As the Universal Ring's power echoes throughout the multiverse, the Guardians of the Universe are forced to reveal to the Green Lantern Corps the secret that they had hoped would remain buried. Hal Jordan and the Corps race to get to the source of this power before Sinestro can get his hands on it. Thanks to the machinations of Sinestro, he and Hal Jordan are transported across the multiverse and trapped on the planet of the apes. Jordan undergoes the same treatment as Taylor did in the Planet of the Apes film and is captured by the gorillas of Ape City when his ring does not retain its charge. Cornelius finds Taylor dead from impalement wounds from the spiked jail bars from the underground settlement of the wacky I reveal my innermost self unto my god telepathic mutants from beneath the planet of the apes. Cornelius then dismantles their god, the Alpha and Omega Bomb, and gives the mutant humans power rings of their own, leading them against the gorilla army. 
Back in the DC Universe, the Guardians finally reveal to the Green Lantern Corps that the Universal Ring was an experiment created after the failure of the renegade Manhunters. Since the Guardians could not control or destroy the Universal Ring, they instead isolated the power from the rest of Hypertime in an alternate Earth that was trapped in an endless time loop. That world was the Planet of the Apes. Meanwhile, Hal breaks out of his captivity in Ape City with some help from Zira, Lucius, and Nova. Elsewhere, Sinestro commits murder and mayhem and takes Dr. Zaius, the orangutan leader of Ape City, hostage. Guy Gardner then stupidly decides it's a good idea to quote-unquote recruit Gorilla Grodd from the Suicide Squad to assist in their recovery of Hal Jordan and the Universal Ring. Kilowog, Guy Gardner, and Aresia arrive on the Planet of the Apes as reinforcements, along with the power-hungry Gorilla Grodd to combat Cornelius and his ring-bearing mutants as well as the Gorilla Army. The Red Lantern Corps discover the existence of the Planet of the Apes and arrive at the battlefield in the Forbidden Zone. Zaius leads the ringless Sinestro to the remains of the ancient Green Lantern who delivered the Universal Ring to the Planet of the Apes. Now with the power of a Green Lantern, Sinestro goes to claim his ultimate prize, the Universal Ring of Power. Guy, Kilowog, and Arisia meet up with Hal, Zira, Nova, and Lucius. Guy provides Hal with the same gauntlets that prevented their Green Lantern rings from being drained in the presence of the Universal Ring. Impatient to wait for the lanterns, Zira, Lucius, and Nova breach the mind illusions of the Forbidden Zone to be reunited with a Cornelius now corrupted by the Universal Ring. Zira is made a Star Sapphire, and Lucius and Nova are granted the, the Yellow Rings of Fear. Grodd, of course, betrays the Green Lantern Corps and mentally assaults Cornelius' army of mutant ring bearers with mind-controlled Red Lanterns at his beck and call. Grodd makes General Ursus violate the ape's most sacred law. Ape does kill ape due to Grodd's mind control. When Cornelius fights back against Grodd, he takes his wife Zira hostage, and rather than be used as Grodd's pawn against her husband, she kills herself. When it appears that the Red Lanterns will take the Universal Ring from Cornelius, Sinestro arrives to make his own bid for the vaunted bauble. Hal Jordan stupidly stops Sinestro from dispatching Atrocitus, and it appears Ursus has slain Grodd. Cornelius unleashes the Universal Ring's viral power, which infects all of his followers. Nova and Lucius rip Atrocitus in two, while General Ursus orders his men to fire their rifles at Cornelius, who deflects the bullets like Tetsuo in Akira. Dr. Zaius suggests using the gauntlets that protect the lanterns from the Universal Ring against Cornelius. As all the lanterns clip their gauntlets on Cornelius, his power wanes and they all fall out of the sky. When Sinestro makes a grab for the Universal Ring, Zaius, recalling the ring's weakness to yellow, stops him by clutching a yellow belt around his neck. In a last-ditch effort at redemption, Cornelius uses the green ring of willpower to destroy Sinestro's protective gauntlet and transports himself to outer space where he and the Universal Ring presumably self-destruct. The Green Lantern Corps takes their leave of the Planet of the Apes with Sinestro in construct-created chains. Grodd is revealed to have survived Ursus's attack, only to be shackled and interrogated by Ursus on the capabilities of his own Earth 
And Cornelius, not as dead as we were led to believe, wakes up to see a group of human beings surrounding him alongside the Daily Planet building in Metropolis. The end. And that's kind of my detailed synopsis of what happens across this six-issue team-up miniseries. So I guess without, I, I guess we're going to bury the lead. What, what did you think of this, Justin? I did not like this. Uh, at all <laughs> i was really disappointed because i was really looking forward to this you know i i'm a big green lantern fan i'm a huge planet of the apes fan like i remember seeing this really fantastic cover that alex ross did of like cornelius as a green lantern i was just like whoa that's awesome like i can't wait to read that you know it's two of my favorite things coming together and i read it and well, first off, the art is really bad. Like, there's there's yeah. some scenes, yeah. like there's certain panels where Zira looks not like an ape at all. Like, she looks almost human. I was trying to figure out, like, because I was like, oh, I wonder, I wonder where I've seen the artwork before. And when I did a quick search on Comic Database, the only other thing of Barnaby Bagendas that I had read before and it wasn't anything i particularly enjoyed or anything was that recent omega men book where like kyle rayner is made to look like a douchebag or whatever mm. and so i was like oh okay i remember that that wasn't good you know and i i don't know if it wasn't good so much because of the art but i remember i just wasn't a big fan of that that storyline or whatever and i i think it was tom king that was writing that omega men book but I, I wasn't particularly enthralled with it. And I just went, what, you know, what is this all about? And, you know, I was kind of curious what was going down with Kyle. So I, I know I read a few issues. I think, and it's not, you know, I'm, I'm generally kind to art styles. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to begrudge somebody, you know, I'm not going to be the guy who hates on Frank quietly, like a lot of people do, because it's like, oh, I don't like the way he draws women, like, blah. But I, I, I think this is less about a style thing, but it's more about that, I, I feel like, despite doing, a, a, you know, a, a fairly large amount of professional work, the, the storytelling is not quite up to par like you know yeah. I, I was thinking like there there are specific examples i can point to but like the one that i think is the most obvious is there's the sequence where cornelius first comes upon the universal ring and there's like a panel where he sees it and then there's a panel where it looks like he's jumping down into a um you know, like a lower level, like where, you know, the ring has fallen into this kind of uh, rocky terrain or whatever. And it's like that panel serves as him jumping and him tripping all at the same time. And then the next panel, he's already on the floor going, oh, I'm a clumsy chimpanzee or whatever. And you're like, clearly you've, you know, you, you've cut corners there in like how how did that you know it's like i i can see there's like the the little kind of not speed lines but the motion lines to indicate that he it it's like the the picture looks like he jumped in sort of a confident action pose but then there's a couple squiggle lines around it to indicate no it wasn't as confident as it looks and he's about to fall and then the next panel he's already fallen and he 
finds this ring, and you're like, well, clearly you've, you know, I mean, dude, this is a, you know, one of these vaunted, you know, what do they call it, decompressed stories with, like, you know, six issues for the trade, like, you couldn't have drawn a few extra panels to, you know, like, here's my confident jump, here's my trip panel, here's my fall panel, and now here's my recovery panel, which is what he sort of jumped to, and I'm just kind of like, you know, this is just poor storytelling, you know, and and I'm assuming, I, I don't know if it's, it's, you know, one of these things where it's written for the script or whatever, and then, you know, the, 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 you know, potentially the writer says, okay, you've got these three panels, and they, they skip the few beats, and it's not his fault, or if it's one of these things where it's kind of semi-Marvel method, and he's going off of a plot where it says, you know, Cornelius jumps down the cavern, trips, falls, and discovers this ring, and he just, you know, is lazy and didn't draw all the panels really needed to convey that, but that that's like the primary example I could think of, but there's a lot of instances in this miniseries where you you kind of scratch your head and go wait what what happened like you know you've you've left some some bits of the puzzle out i think and so i i definitely agree with you on that that the that you know i i guess i agree with you in the sense that like i i think the word i would use for this is disappointment like I, I was sort of yeah. pro- profoundly disappointed because it sounds like such a cool idea, and I was trying to, I was trying to put my finger on why I was so disappointed, and you know, I, I, it didn't occur to me until I started looking at all the variant covers for this series, and you know, it, it, it's funny because there's an interesting discussion going on the Botox forums and the comic thread right now about this kind of. The, the way their Marvel is advertising some of their storylines by recreating layouts of famous covers that people are fond of to play on nostalgia and or, or, or these these, you know, I don't know, quote unquote, T-shirt alternate covers where they're they're, you know, white backgrounds with kind of, you know, Kirby styled artwork or whatever to try and elicit this like, hey, you know, your joy is this era of Marvel comics. Well, come read these new comics because we're we're going to replicate that joy for you. You know, and and I I feel like some of those alternate covers were like that, where they have like the little sort of Mego ape figures in the packages as a cover, or you know, they they try to recreate like the the classic. Planet of the Apes posters, but with like Green Lantern things inserted into it type things, or or classic Green Lantern covers with the apes inserted into it, and to, to try and evoke that feel of like, hey, look, you know, this is like the issue of Showcase where Hal Jordan first appeared, but look, it's Cornelius, you know, and you're like sitting there going, oh, well, that that evokes two different things and and this kind of sense of familiarity, and I think, you know. I, you know, far be it for me to to praise Alex Ross or anything, because you know, you know me about that. But I mean, those covers, like you said, are really good. But the other thing about them is, you know, it's funny. It's like, what is it like six alternate Alex Ross covers, and he assigns certain emotional spectrums to certain apes characters in all of them, and they all appear to make sense. 
and that has nothing to do with the goddamn story in yeah, the book. Yeah, I noticed that. You know, yeah. like, like it, it's like one of those things where it's like, they paid him all this money to do these cool covers, and I, I feel like, you know, I, I, I don't know who to blame. It's like, it's like, do you blame, you know, it's like, why didn't Alex Ross draw a cover that had something to do with the story? Or do you blame the, the whole editorial guys who are trying to or marketing guys who are like you know what would sell this book is if we had alex ross do these cool covers where you know we assign these guys you know a, a ring from the emotional spectrum but like at no fucking point does ursus join the red lantern Corps. you know what i mean and, and you're just like but that's a variant cover and you're like that actually kind of you know you know just thinking about it you know not not to you know like i said not to give alex ross like too much praise or credit but you're like hey if he's the one who came up with that idea when he drew the cover and drafted it i'm like why didn't they you know pay him for his idea and and actually write you know have have these guys from boom who are writing this story like actually you know write that story where zayas stumbles upon a yellow ring of fear like zayas is never a yellow lantern in this at all so so i i, I kind of feel like part of the disappointment springs from that you know the way this was marketed you were promised certain things and the miniseries didn't deliver them at all and then kind of on top of that i feel like it it kind of tells some tired ass tropes of like you know i mean i guess that's why my avatar is the variant cover where it mirrors the the parallax issues of green lantern you know the 48 to 50 where you know hal's got all the the rings on issue i think it's like issue 49 all the green lantern rings when he's slowly killing the core and turning into parallax and there's even like a line of dialogue i think when he's trying to convince cornelius to abandon the power of this quote-unquote universal ring you know that he's like i've been there too bro and like you know you should get out while you can because you know, you're going to have to do Cornelius Rebirth a few years from now, and that's not going to be cool, you know, and, and stuff like that. And you're just like, I don't even know that I buy, like, why, why would Cornelius, I mean, I get that they're trying to say the ring is corrupting him, that it's this uncontrollable force of nature, but I'm just kind of like, I don't know, like, I just didn't buy a lot of the things that happened even yeah. with that, you know, I'm like, why would Cornelius, like, kill people you know just because the ring is mind controlling him or, or whatever and if it is controlling him it's like i, I it, it just seemed like you know it started with like it, it was orange and it made him greedy and then and then and then it was red and it made him have you know murderous rage and you know it's just like basically whatever was convenient for to to move this kind of clunky plot along the ring turned the right color it's like oh his wife shows up so it's like oh great zira's here now i can you know uh you know basically have you know compassion and ho and love and this and that you know it's like when when uh he sees a dead tailor he he turns to hope you know and all this other shit and it's just like i don't know like uh, the the covers of course like we were saying didn't lead you to believe that Cornelius would be all these different versions of the spectrum, like a schizophrenic madman. It led you to believe, like, you know, maybe a bunch of rings got sent to the planet of the apes, and each, you know, some of these characters you were familiar with became the the masters of those rings, and that probably 
would have been a much more interesting story than than what we got. There were also like a lot of unnecessary deaths that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. The one that like bothered me the most was Zira killing herself. I was just like, you know, kind of like you were talking about like the whole Cornelius tripped and you feel like you missed something. Like I was reading that and I was like, wait, did I miss a panel or something? So I went back and read it again. I was like, no, Zira just like she, she like she just like gives up and shoots herself in the head with her own ring. And then you see like, you know, smoke coming out of her head like she's Prowl and Transformers the movie. And I was just like, what? I was like that. No, I was just like that. And you're talking about Cornelius. You don't think he would be affected by the ring. I agree with that. I don't think in that situation, Zero would just be like, screw it and kill herself. Like, I, it's, that was. It's weird. It's like they were trying to evoke some of the, the dark paths that some of the later ape films take. Like, like mm-hmm. I feel like that was supposed to be like a call out to like the end of Escape from the Planet of the Apes, but it just mm-hmm. didn't didn't work. You know, yeah, not within did. the context of this story. I mean, it 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 feels like they were trying to go for that dark moment, like you know, when when Zira and Cornelius get shot, and it looks like you know the the little baby gets shot too. Like they were trying to go for something like that, but it just it sort of fell flat, I guess. And then you know, there's that you you mentioned this in your synopsis, but like Ursus in his battle with Grodd, and he's like, you know, I. He said something like, I've, I have always followed the lawgiver's words, except for this day. And you think he cuts Grodd's throat, and I didn't like that. And then you find, like, that's a fake out, and then they have yeah. Grodd captured. Like, I, I still, I mean, that feels like a cheat, but I still was like, you know, Ursus may be power hungry and all these other, you know, he has, like, really bad aspects of his character, right? But I still can't see him violating like the lawgivers like highest code like ape does not kill ape and then the other scene that i didn't like was like atrocitus getting ripped in half i was yeah. like really well I it's, mean, it's I weird mean, i mean you know one thing that we haven't talked about but but it seems kind of important but i i, I don't know how to explain this other than it seems like they went to great effort to set this in the current green lantern continuity and then completely disregard any consistency within that continuity. Like, basically, it's like, this is set, like, between Planet of the Apes and beneath the Planet of the Apes, and it's set during DC Rebirth-era Green Lanterns right this minute now, yet they somehow felt they had free reign to kill St. Walker, Nort, Bleeze, like all these people in the opening, like Sinestro just kills them all. Larfleas. I mean, these are like important characters, you know? And yeah. it's like he snuffs them all out to like find the universal ring or something, like Sinestro in the beginning. So like you, you've got all these big important characters, you know, that, that comprise all the spectrums of colors that get killed or murdered by Sinestro or what have you in the beginning. And then, and then like you're saying towards the end, I mean, it gets really brutal. You know, Zira dies. Atrocitus gets like ripped in two by, I I think it's Nova and Lucius or whatever, when they're like infected by the, 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 they've got, it's weird. Like at that point, it's like, you know, Cornelius isn't quite a white lantern. He's almost like this weird infected, like you're seeing, um, the biology class like where they show you the circulatory system and it's like he's in this kind of white jumpsuit 
where you can see inside his circulatory system, like all the veins and, you know, kind of red and blue sort of bloodlines and all that kind of stuff. But I don't, you know, and, and then and then at the end of it, it seemed like they were pushing really hard to like, like you were talking about with Grodd and Ursus, like that, that it was a big switcheroo fake out to, to sort of promote some kind of continuation or sequelization of this. And it was kind of like, you know, if it's going to be as shitty as this was, I don't know that I want a sequel to it, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. It seemed like they were major league pushing it hardcore, and it's like, great, now Cornelius is going to be a Green Lantern in the DC universe. And I'm like, why didn't you just fucking start there? Maybe it wouldn't have been so fucking awful. But I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if it's just a, a, a kind of misunderstanding of of the appeal of Planet of the Apes, where they focused on all the kind of post-apocalyptic like doom and gloom type stuff or whatever but i yeah i mean i i agree with you that i was kind of super disappointed i mean i think i think it partly has to do with with how this stuff was marketed but also i I, i'd say it, it has to do with i i don't like the trope of cornelius basically becoming the you know superboy prime of this book which and, and then and then by the end of it, it's like, oh well, he's not really because, you know, he he self sacrifices him. I mean, you know, they literally compare him to Parallax in this story, which you're like sitting there going, well, that that I mean, that should tell you right there that that there's problems with with what you're doing to the character. And then also like it, you know, the the way you know, I mean, there's no. It, it's like I say it's set between Planet of the Apes and Beneath, but, like, there's no Brent, and Taylor dies in a completely different way. Like, obviously, yeah. he it, it's almost like he dies how he would have died in the fight with Brent had he not overpowered the, you know, you know the, the crazy mutant telepath people or whatever and gone on to sort of, you know, blow up the earth you know and, and if the whole point was that like you know what I, I don't know it's like it's weird it's like they're 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 going there because sinestro wants the universal ring for himself but like conceivably if the timeline went in this endless loop where taylor blows up the earth then it's like we'll just let sinestro go there and then taylor blows up the earth and then Sinestro's gone. You know, like, <laughs> like why why do you even need to send anybody there if everything happens the way it's supposed to? And I guess speaking of, of again, like, kind of our problems with the art, like, I was just going to point out, because I thought it was kind of funny, you know how they, they go into the origin of the Universal Ring, how they, they basically recruit a Green Lantern from, you know, way back in the day to take the ring to the planet of the apes basically traversing the multiverse and then it turns out that she's stuck there and everything like i i use the pronoun she because it's a female green lantern but when i first read this i thought it was a dude like i i didn't even know that it was a female green lantern until they i i i i know i got a few pages into it where i and it was just like I forget if it was Sinestro who called, it's like, oh, she's a, she's a fool, or, you know, somebody used some pronoun, and I went, wait, what? And then I went back, like, two or three pages, and I'm kind of like, oh, I guess, I guess I could kind of see it, I, I could have sworn it was a dude, but whatever, you know, like, so, so there's, there's things like that, too, where I couldn't even, 
you know, tell what gender the uh, alien Green Lantern was supposed to be. Yeah, there were there were a few panels where you would see like just some woman in the background, and I was like, I was like racking my brain. I was like, who is that? Like, who is that supposed to be? And I finally figured it out. I was like, oh, that's Nova, because like she didn't really come off to know uh, as Nova to you. Yeah. Yeah, she did. She didn't look like Nova, and then it's like she would. She didn't really do. A whole lot until like a certain point it's like oh we need nova to like do stuff and kill people now so like here's just some powers but it's just like you know like some like random panel like you know people standing around listening to someone talk i'm like who is that and i was like oh nova like geez but like i, I feel kind of like you i feel like they should have just took those Alex Ross covers and wrote around them. You know, you always hear stories about like, oh, like we've got this movie poster already made. Let's make a movie. Yeah, like they should have just went with that. Maybe if this one time that would have worked out better. Like, oh, we've got this really cool Alex Ross cover. Like, let's just write around that. Because I think part of the problem here, well, one of the big problems, I guess, is like there's too much thrown into these six issues. I mean, Never mind, like, all the Green Lanterns and Grodd and then all the Apes characters, but then you have, like, the other emotional spectrums. I think it would have just been better, like you said, if they had just been like, oh, you know, Dr. Zayas finds a yellow ring for whatever reason, and then Ursus finds a red ring, and just deal with something simple like that. Like, I don't think they needed, like, one universal ring with all these super amazing powers and Cornelius doing his parallax thing. Like, I don't like that stuff was not necessary. I would have been way more interested if it was just, you know, various characters on the planet of the apes. They, for whatever reason, they find a, you know, a ring from the emotional spectrum. And then maybe the, you know, lantern Corps comes in and they're just like, Hey guys, you know, you, you don't need these. You shouldn't have these. And then maybe that causes some kind of conflict. Like that would have been a much, simpler story to tell and it would have been less messy and less you know like you would have had like no stupid things like guy gardner like stupidly getting crawled for no reason other than he's well, an ape he, you know what's funny is when when he started talking smack and maybe this just you know goes back to me you know having a great love of Congorilla because of history of comics on film and cry for justice and all this other stuff but like i'm sitting there going man there's dozens of monkey ass motherfuckers you could have picked before you pick gorilla garage like he could go and get detective fucking chimp for all i care but like what you know i was just like oh because we need grod because you know he's gonna mentally combat the the uh you know radiation affected you know humans or whatever and i i mean you know maybe that's part of it too because there's so much that they they tried to borrow from beneath you know which is you know not traditionally speaking like the most well regarded of, yeah. of the apes movies and and so it, it it started delving into some of that mythology which is not quite as as you know you know, I mean, I love it, but it, it's not, you know, I mean, when, when you start dealing with the, you know, the, uh, you know, unto my God, my innermost face, you know, those <laughs> fucking assholes. It's just like, come on, man. Like, you know, the, the, you know, I don't know. I just, it, it's, I mean, I'm, I, I guess, you know, the, the only thing I can think of, I'm trying to think of some positive things to say about it. Like, 
I did think some of the the conversations between Sinestro and Zaius were pretty cool. Like I, yeah. I, I thought like they they kind of nailed those characters' voices and and that that was at least you know if not the plot of the story you know that that was a, a piece of of the six issues that I thought was fairly effective and I liked how they did the twist at the end where. You know, it's like, oh, well, Zaius was there to overhear that the ring he pawned off of that, you know, dead Green Lantern who delivered the Universal Ring to the Planet of the Apes was, you know, vulner still had the yellow vulnerability. So he, of course, was biding his time and then he chokes out Sinestro with a yellow belt and everything. And, you know, I like that Zaius is the one that's like, you know, Jordan, you know, why, why don't you use those fucking, you know gauntlet thingies and <laughs> they're like oh why didn't we think of that Zeus? good idea <laughs> and then they go off to fucking you know save the day or whatever i mean you know that that's uh you know i, I don't know i was like oh, that was you know kind of okay for Zeus or whatever but i think the the story in general i think was yeah you know, unfortunately kind of disappointing and doesn't it doesn't necessarily i mean i suppose if if they got a different team you know, maybe a different set of writers and, and certainly a different penciler. And you know what you know what this did make me want to do though was it's like I, I started going back and, and reading like some of the Red Lantern stuff from where I had left off because I, I kinda felt like that was another thing, like I, I think if Mike was here I, I would explain it as I felt like the way Guy Gardner was treating the Red Lanterns would be like if Hawkeye was part of the Avengers and was smacking around the Thunderbolts, like where you have that kind of disconnect of like, Hey, didn't you like lead these guys for like a couple of years, dude? Like, why are you, you know, like, like you, you'd think there'd be a different dynamic, not that they wouldn't engage and not that they wouldn't get into a fight because they're now on opposite sides of, you know, the coin, but that they would still kind of call back to, well, you know, maybe it, there'd be more reluctance to do that. And it almost seems like, you know, in this, like you said, it's it's way too many factions and characters. So it's like they can't even delve into that history or acknowledge it because there's there's so many balls that these these people are juggling that they're just afraid they're all going to drop at any given moment. I guess if I was pressed to, you know, come up with uh, something positive, like when they mentioned hypertime, like they kind of had my attention. I was like, oh, hypertime, like, hey, kids, remember that? <laughs> and then their explanation for why they hid this ring on the planet of the ace, because it's like a time loop and, you know, it, it ends with the planet being destroyed. Like, I thought that was, you know, a little bit clever. So I, I kind of I kind of bought why why that ring was hidden there. But like I think I think those are like the only two things I kind of like liked about this thing. Yeah, I mean that that made sense to me. It, it just I I just wondered why everybody else felt the need to go there if it's going to end with the destruction of the planet. You know, basically if it's going to keep doing that, then just let it <laughs> destroy itself. They are dying. Let them die. It. I, I think what it, what would been a what what could have been a cool cover would be like. Sinestro getting that ring and then like behind him is like mortally wounded Taylor and he's like it's doomsday Sinestro yeah 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 that 
Yeah, it, it, I guess I guess part of that probably I would imagine might have to do with the estate of Charlton Heston. Like maybe you can't, you know, yeah. use his likeness. And then at this point in time, you know, it's it's not like it used to be back in the day where people were satisfied with just any old random Joe being Taylor, you know, like at this point yeah. the, the demands are, Oh no, you know, it's like when they do the, you know, the, the Batman 66 comics or the Linda Carter wonder woman comics. It's like they, they try to make them look like the actor just at least a little bit, you know? So because they, and they, apparently they have all that, you know, worked out and agreed upon so that that might be the reason why you don't see people like you know brent or taylor you know in this crossover or whatever but yeah i mean that's kind of a shame because i i think it's a good idea i guess what what i was saying was that you know not not only did it get me to go back and and read some some red lantern stuff that i had left off reading on but i actually did look at a few issues of hal jordan and the green lantern Corps because i haven't in a while some of the rebirth stuff i was kind of surprised i'm like oh ethan van skyver drew some of this like the interiors on this like i i think that's another part of the disappointment with some of those covers that ethan van skyver did you know it's not you know it's not the same art style as alex ross and it didn't i think mislead me about the interior content of the story but ethan van skyver's art is like light years ahead of barnaby bagenda's art on the interiors so it's one of those things where you're like i suppose it's better that he's actually working on the green lantern book and making that look good but i'm like it's too bad i mean even if even if this plot was totally horrendous if it had some really solid art you might enjoy it a little more yeah i i definitely agree with that at least zira would look like zira and i could tell if nova was actually in the background or not oh well that's i mean i'm like that's kind of too bad but yeah you know i mean i i don't mind that i read it i was curious about it and i'm I'm glad i kind of got it all done in one shot but you know, you know, some sometimes you know team ups are hit and miss, and this was probably a, a you know miss, unfortunately, in terms of that. I I mean, I think we definitely enjoy Tarzan and Planet of the Apes a lot more than we enjoy Planet of the Apes and Green Lantern. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, I, I think that'll wrap up this final segment of the show. If you guys have any comments, questions, and/or concerns, if you totally disagree with us and think Planet of the Apes Green Lantern is the bee's knees and we're totally wrong, you can send us some angry, scathing, rage-filled Red Lantern emails at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We are on the fanholesblogspot.com, and we have plenty of other spin-off shows, much like the colors of the emotional spectrum. We've got shows for every color. We've got, or at least weekday or what what have you, we've got Mobile Suit Mondays, Toku Thursdays, Transformers Tuesdays, Sentai Saturdays, the Fan Holes Podcast proper, Big in Japan where we talk about anime, and if you like listening to comics, motherfucker, do you read them, then please consider checking out all the other spinoff shows and proper shows. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, the only good human is a dead human. Signing off. And this is Justin. I reveal my most inmost self unto my God. I hate every ape I 
see from chimpanzee to chimpanzee. No, you'll never make a monkey out of me. Oh my God, I was wrong. It was Earth all along. You finally made a monkey. Yes, we finally made a monkey. Yes, you finally made a monkey out of me. I love you, Dr. Zayas. Mike is being dumb. Okay. Well, Mike is always dumb. Not <laughs> that Mike. Hey. Hey. Why yo? I didn't want to talk to Mike anyway. <laughs> oh, hi, Michael. <laughs> Yellow. Any any questions and or concerns before we start or whatever? Uh, full confession, like I hate this, so yeah, be... I, I I didn't okay. I didn't like it too much, so that that's fine. Okay. I mean, I I I was gonna be sort of polite and say I was disappointed, but but if you wanna rant and rave about it, that's fine by me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, don't feel bad. I mean, I I didn't I didn't like this either. And I was just like I, I I was reading it and I was like, oh man, like I thought this was gonna be cool. Oh, yeah. What happened to you, China? You used to be cool. Hey, China's still cool. <laughs> the Larry's got us. They're marketing. <laughs> they're marketing wizardry. Totally. We were bamboozled, Justin. <laughs> they finally made a monkey out of us. They finally made a monkey out of me. Yeah, for sure. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas was cool. Yeah, he was. That that was good because sometimes like comics or something will portray him as being like very, very off kilter and kind of mm. murderous. Mm. But yeah, I liked him in this. No, no. I, I mean, I, I thought they got his voice right. I mean, and he was... He he was biding his time, and you know, it, you know, it, it potentially seemed like he was helpless, but he had an ace up his sleeve the whole time. Like I thought that was, you know, that that part of it was not not too shabby, you know. Like, but I yeah, I just think like some of the other stuff. I was like, well, what what, what about all these fucking covers, man? Like, where's the <laughs> where's the fucking uh, lawgiver with the fucking blue ring? Like, where the fuck is that? You know, it's like, you know, you know, what cracked me up is like they, they make this big deal about the universal ring having like access to all the spectrums. You know, the, the one spectrum they barely use, probably because it's worthless, is uh, compassion. I'm like, <laughs> it's like they I can't think of a time in this. It's like rage was easy because they wanted him to murder somebody and greed was easy because they wanted him to steal the ring. And then willpower. It's like, oh, here's his his moment of goodness and, 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 and hope. You'd think he, instead of turning into uh, the blue guy when he saw Taylor dead, he could have turned into the 
indigo guy there, like where he's like, oh, that's yeah. too bad. Like Taylor was my bud, and like I I, I shared a kinship with him. Like I have <gasps> compassion for him. So even in that, it's like they fucking shit the bed, you know? Yeah. And, and the other thing, you know, you, you know why I had to rewatch the movies. I didn't even talk about this on the oh, show. Oh yeah, why? Was why? I I because it was like they made a big stink about how Cornelius and Zero weren't married yet but they were going to be married and i was like trying to remember i'm like wait a minute i'm like i'm like i, I was thinking to myself like were they married in? and i was like and i i couldn't remember like i i was like part of me was thinking well weren't they always married and i wasn't sure so like i'm I, and i'm watching beneath and i watched beneath for like i don't know like 15 minutes and then when zira does her like refusal to clap for ursus and beneath then you know uh, the the I forget his name, but the poor bastard who replaced Roddy McDowell is like you know yeah. uh, as your husband you know like you know please stand up before we get fucking killed in front of all these people <laughs> or whatever like don't disagree out in the open just act like a crazy bitch on Facebook when we get home or face ape, <laughs> face ape when we get home but don't don't do it in public or whatever you know yeah. and um. And so, like, I was like, okay, well, clearly they're they're married because because he says as your husband. And so I'm sitting there going, well, maybe you know. And I was like, I don't remember, you know. And I was like, so let me let me watch Planet of the Apes. And so I put in Planet of the Apes and I jump around to like all the the chimpanzee scenes. And so I'm sitting there, oh, bright eyes, bright eyes. Okay, great. Like that's you know, and then finally I get to the scene where I think uh, Zayas comes in and and he's. Uh, or, or they're in the cage with uh, Taylor and Nova, and he's trying to write in the sand. And at that point, it's like, oh, you know, Dr. Zayas, this is my fiancé, you know, Cornelius. And I went, oh, okay. So in, in Apes, they were engaged. But mm. somewhere in between, I, I don't know where they found the time to fucking get married, <laughs> but somewhere in between the end of Planet of the Apes and 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 the when you next see... I guess Brent and Nova stumble upon um, the the big powwow at Ape City, you know, where Ursus is giving his speech. At some point in between that point, they had a wedding, you know, whatever an ape wedding looks like. So, but yeah, that's what I was I was trying to figure out because I was like, oh, I didn't remember, you know, because I was like, I guess I was thinking I'm like, what, weren't they always married? And I didn't want to like put my foot in my mouth and go. These guys are wrong. They were always married, you know, because I was like, no, that's not, that's not true. But you know, 